Welcome to another episode of the Modern Facilities Management Podcast, brought to you by Stratum. I'm your host, Griffin Hamilton. This is the show where I interview industry experts who share their stories, strategies, and insights into modern day facilities management. From hospitality to commercial real estate and everything in between, we'll learn what it really takes to succeed as a facilities manager. Welcome to another episode of the Modern Facilities Management Podcast. Today is interview three at the Tennessee School Plant Management Association Annual Conference in Pigeon Forge, Tennessee. Man, you got that right. I know. Three for three, believe it or not. And our third guest, thanks for coming on, Tom. Yes. Introduce yourself so I don't butcher your last name. It's Tom Chiz. C-Z-Y-Z, if you Google search it. So don't misspell it because bad things come up, but... (laughs) Um, yeah, if you look at it and say it, it's total opposite. So Tom is good for me. Perfect. And you said Google, TikTok from what I hear as well. Yes, TikTok <laughs> famous if you if you find it. Not me, but if you look up Armored One and, and Sean Rancier, I don't know how to spell that, French or something, but he's got millions and millions of views um, showing off our product line, which is glass security. We do security assessments, training. We're really the uh, subject matter experts in active shooter, especially K through 12 in the United States and work with schools all over the United States plus uh, Canada and Mexico now getting into the UK, the Middle East and Northern Africa, um, but coming with a strong background, true background in active shooter. And so why are you here? So I'm here. I was asked to speak at the conference active shooter in America's schools. I'm a retired homicide detective and SWAT operator and SWAT uh, trainer out of New York. My wife was a school teacher. She now runs our not-for-profit training division. Uh, one training, and um, we train schools, K through 12 schools is our specialty in active shooter training. Um, But we run across the nation, we do security glass, an affordable security solution. But for here, we were teaching actually the history of active shooter and using Parkland as a case study too, to show what facilities operators and directors could do to make a safer school. They really are very effective in protecting their schools and making decisions that affect the whole school the school building or the school district and we were here to teach on that not to really talk about glass or training or any of those portions yeah and i guess talk to that a little bit more where in those unfortunate circumstances where the facilities manager or facilities director comes into play what really goes on behind the scenes and the preparation all the way through to the execution of when that situation arises yeah definitely so coming in here it was uh it was definitely very different because you have a vendor speaking for two hours. We're not trying to sell anything, of course, but we're talking to them partially as a vendor. So I can speak on a vendor term and then I can speak from an educational term, working with um, FBI and Secret Service, the federal government for active shooter stuff and local police, of course. Um, But with that, coming in and saying, okay, it's difficult when you come to a school district. Who do you talk to? How do you sell a product? Whether that product is um, going to save lives or um, clean floors, you know, what is it doing and why is it doing it? Who do you talk to with those? And it might be a superintendent, a business administrator, a school board. It's different every time. And it's every district in every state is so different. And what we've learned as a company working in all 50 states is consistently, it is the um, facilities, maintenance uh, directors or superintendents, whatever their title is, is truly a great decision maker for what we're doing, whether it's it's even the start of training. Training has to do with the educational side of school. Yet the facilities director is the one that is typically bringing us to the table and saying, you need to talk to these guys, um, these men and women that do training specialized for K through 12. 
and they'll do the vetting process and bring it to the table. And that same goes for us with uh, product lines. And I, I tell you the vendor side, because more importantly, as a facilities director, they're the ones sitting there that are vetting the companies and saying, okay, we're doing this, COVID hits, and what are we using to sanitize um, our schools? What are we using for the shields on the desks at this point? They're doing all the legwork to keep people alive, protected, safe, healthy, and they're doing a great job at that. And we've really created a great relationship with our facilities associations across the nation. Yeah, and, and I guess talk to that, um, you mentioned that whole buying process, right? I mean, that's something that's, it can be very tedious and there's a lot of factors that go into it. And that is the first step in preparing for this. And so you're coming in as a consultant essentially and, and working with these facilities directors and how does that typically work? And what is the, the main point you're trying to make as they're, they're going to implement this type of, uh, of product? So I'm gonna, I'm gonna touch on a couple things there too. First, I feel your pain as facilities directors and operators. Um, almost nine years in the business now, working with schools, government, all that, but let's focus K through 12 schools. It's different for every, every single facilities operators, but they might push for something for two years and be stalemated by a school board, by a superintendent, by a business administrator. And we need this, we need this, we need this. And then all of a sudden they get the green light and it's like, get the bids and get this done in two months, right? right? <laughs> Find somebody and do it. And they're not saying specifically, I need this product, but I need this solution, whatever it is, um, for the school. So then they have to run. So they go from pretty much begging and telling and saying, do this to get it. So being on the vendor side and working with these schools for so long, I feel their pain because we will talk to them and they'll say, okay, come in and talk to the school board, come talk to the superintendent. And we try different processes and steps to, to put the puzzle pieces together to say, okay, this this facilities director wants this for a reason, whatever it is, new doors. Um, because our security consulting of what we do with uh, being subject matter experts in physical security, active shooter, counterterrorism, all of those things, you know, we might bring a Navy SEAL to your place and say, okay, this is what you need and why. Um, and they'll speak to it. And that facilities director says, yes, we absolutely need this. Yes, this is what we need. And then we go to the next person and they say no. Then we go to the next and they say no. So. I always say it's kind of like a real world solution. We're showing the real world solution. The facilities directors get it because they know their buildings. Not only do they know their buildings, every inch, every, every square foot of that place, but they also know the people that are in them and what their needs are. And this is so drastically different than a principal or a superintendent who's not even in that building. Um, our facilities, whether they're custodians, maintenance workers, they know what the people want, what they need. They know where the vulnerabilities are working inside those buildings. So, you know, you and I are here to talk about security. A lot of people will mix up safety and security. Safety is unintentional. So it could be a rather related accident, uh, slip and fall, injury, death. It could be that bad where security is man-made. It's malicious. Someone is coming in to injure, kill, destroy, take away um, that security. And it could be stealing a cell phone. That's intentional. A cell phone blowing away in a storm is unintentional and accidental. Right. So OSHA does a great job managing our places, our schools, our like our manufacturing facilities saying follow these safety guidelines, but there's not much for security. And what we've what we've seen and what we've witnessed over the years is facilities, a lot of schools don't have security directors, and even if they do, it falls under under uh, maintenance and facilities, and they're the ones that reach out and say, "Okay, how do we start solving these problems?" And what do we do? How do we approach it? What's the solution? And we'll show them the solutions and saying, here, work with these three companies, 
this is who, but then they get that door closed in their face um, and, a lot of times. And I guess with that and, and looking at it from, from their perspective, where they have the entirety of the school system, whether it's, you know, multiple schools, their single location or a single building uh, within a school, and they have to account for every possible scenario. Mm -hmm. And we focused on, on glass on our conversations thus far, but beyond that, what is that, what goes into that from a facilities manager's perspective? So being government entities, they're typically looking, spending on how much they're spending could be a bidding process, looking off state contracts, looking from uh, sourcing companies that are on state bids or GSAs, things like that. But a lot of times it'll be a newer, in the security world, a lot of new innovation is coming out and these companies are not on your state bids. They're not on um, your sourcing companies and you're not able to just buy them. So now you have to put it out to bid. And what we're learning there too is working closely to get a true understanding of what you want. And that product could be a blue light system, okay? We're gonna call a lockdown and we're gonna hit a lockdown button in a school. We're trying to secure it. What does that lockdown button do? Does it include the blue light system? Does it close fire doors? Does it notify staff via text and email that we are in lockdown? Does it shut down any smart operating unit like a smart board at the school, a laptop? and say we're in lockdown, go into lockdown, stop people from using stuff so they know what's going on. Pushing out to blue lights, are the blue lights flashing, telling people there's a visual. If they can't, if they can't hear it, they can see it, that we're in lockdown. And that creates a specification when that spec gets written. This is everything our lockdown button and blue light system does. So if we're going into a true lockdown, we see a guy with a gun, we hit the button. Is it calling 911? Is it mass notification to any police officers off duty that could be close? What's going on with that system? There's so many um, software writing things that you can do behind that button compared to push the button and an alarm goes off and we call 911. That's right. not truly solving it. When the facilities operator gets involved and sees what's written down, what's happening, and says all of this makes sense for us. We had a lockdown before. I've had uh, facilities directors tell me this. We had 400 cars here, parents trying to get their kids demanding that they get their kids during a lockdown. We couldn't even get an ambulance into the building, you know. So we need that mass notification to all staff, to all parents. Do not come to the schools. Go to the secondary location. We have no details at this time other than the school is in lockdown. We will update you immediately when we have it. And the facility, yes, we've had that problem. And the superintendent probably doesn't know because they never came to the school yeah. during the lockdown because it ended up being nothing. The media wasn't involved, yet we had 400 parents there Traffic backed up for two hours on the main highway coming in because people were thought they were coming to rescue their children and abandoning their cars on highways. So when they look at it and they say, okay, this meets exactly what we need, I always say your spec is your need. When you're reading a specification, if that's what you need, make the spec meet your need and then release that in the bid, in the, in the RFP, the request for a proposal. Mm -hmm. If that goes out and people are not able to meet that need, don't buy them just because they're the least expensive. We see that over and over again. And I would say facilities has gotten the best, better than business administrators. Sorry if you're listening, but they will spend the money and do it two or three times the wrong way where facilities directors are given that budget and they know if they step out of it and they're wasting money, it might cost more up front, but it's going to save me over the next two years. And now I can buy this. Now I can get that for, for maintenance or for facilities or whatever, or it opens up another position. They've been really good at that. And it's really, you know, I know you do. I know you do facilities with this interview, but I know way more people listen to it um, other than facilities, directors and operators to say, okay, understand the importance of these people and what they're doing, because that's where we've seen the biggest changes 
of fighting active shooters for eight years in schools now. So, and so do you find, I mean, unfortunately over the last decade in particular, um, I'm probably dating myself where that's, that's more, uh, of memory for me, but there's been more and more shootings that we've come across. And do you feel, I mean, I think as if that's being brought front of mind where you are preparing, do you feel still to this day where people are kind of throwing their hands up there, have really no direction on where to even begin because facilities, it covers a wide range oh, of, yeah. of tasks. And so throwing security in there, you could kind of feel helpless. So do you still find that to be the case? Absolutely. So they are still there. We see, we see more proactiveness and we see more money being given for it, whether it's federally or by states. I know you're from Florida. Governor DeSantis has pushed money into the schools after the Parkland shooting. The federal government has released ESER and COPS, the COPS, um, that there's monies that are available for it. So they're dealing with it because the money's there and they're able to get it, but they're still kind of lost in the sauce. Mm -hmm. And that too is where I tell them, make sure that you work with getting a true subject matter expert in physical security, um, not somebody with an online degree that they did in, in six weeks of taking a course, not somebody who wrote a book who claims to be an expert, um, sometimes not even your police officers, your local police departments, if they're not deemed the government, the state governments and federal governments will deem uh, certain people subject matter experts in explosives in um, active shooter, in multiple things, in law enforcement. Don't just take a police officer's word or law enforcement officer's word because they said do this. They're not an expert in that field. So when you find true experts and you say, okay, we need guidance, well, what are you looking for guidance for? Well, we want to create a secure vestibule. Well, that secure vestibule, you could put a million dollars into a beautiful vestibule that has every bell and whistle that you can imagine to check people in, to bring them through and, uh, you know, x-ray things and looking, you know, anything that you can imagine they could have. But if your back door is unlocked and it's not secure or your side doors and, and the shooter knows that, what good was that secure vestibule, mm. right? If you're with a, a subject matter expert in physical security, they're going to say, lock every exterior door, harden them up, get better. And these are the least expensive entries. But then when you do your front, it's going to force people to move to the front of the building. You create those layers of protection and you force the bad guy where you want them to go. That's what a subject matter expert will do for them compared to just asking a recommendation of somebody that, you know, the local police chief, and we've had that, three-person police department, hey, chief, what do we do? We do this, this, and this. And he's been a part-time cop for five years, and now he's chief of police of a three-man department. He has no clue what he's telling you. And right. I'm not putting law enforcement down. I'm a retired cop, you know, homicide and SWAT. I, I eat and breathe this stuff still. I love, I love what they do, but the police officers will admit to you there's people that are experts. SWAT is an expert in special weapons and tactics. Hostage negotiators are subject matter experts in their field. We turn to them. We just don't turn to anybody. So when you're looking for the real solution, it's teaming up with the right people and making sure you get that and you vet it before you're saying, let's do this. Yeah. I mean, and to make the analogy in facilities, I mean, you have electricians, you have plumbers, and they are specialists. Just because you're in facilities doesn't mean you should be the one you know, doing an electrical project. Exactly. Rely on an expert. So... Love that. The, the painters aren't doing the plumbing, right? Exactly. Exactly. Um, so everything you just mentioned, it seems as though it would be a long rollout, potentially a large investment, and a lot of a lot of yeses that need to be had from top uh, top down to to make sure that's implemented. What are some quick fixes, or at least in, to begin the process? What can you do to really have safety and security up front? So. In SWAT, they say people will say band aids don't work. In SWAT, we say they do. 
because you might get shot and then you have to put your hand and put pressure on. You don't have a tourniquet and you don't have a surgeon yet. So it's like putting a Band-Aid on a, on a gushing wound. Sometimes you have to yeah. put those Band-Aids on. Um, but one thing I will, I will say, there's been many studies done that if you do it right the first time, it saves you money in the long run. And that especially goes into security that um, if you're able to do it right, and again, it's budgets, it's yeses, it's everything. We always say eat the elephant one bite at a time. So if you're able to say, okay, here's my, my big goal is to do this. We're going to create um, secure classroom doors on all of our school and all of our elementary school. There's a 110 doors that need to be secured in here. We need new locks, new glass, new doors, vision light kits, um, framing, hinges, all of that goes into it. We need an architect to approve. We need all that. Take baby steps. Or if you're looking at the whole district, you start with one school. Mm -hmm. You see how it goes. You work out the kinks to say, okay, how can we become more efficient? How can we get a better deal here? How can we prove to the school board that this only costs us 100000 They thought it would be 900000 We did it for hundred grand, and now we're able to say, okay, let's do 10 next year. And we take baby step after baby step. And when it comes to security, trust your gut. Trust your people. Your people know you could have districts with three buildings. You could have districts with 400 buildings, Clark County schools, over 400. Mm -hmm. There's areas of Clark County that are in the middle of nowhere in, in Nevada that are in the middle of nowhere. Um, and then you have stuff that is down in very crime-ridden areas where school buses are getting shot at. You would want to harden up and deal with something like hardening of a classroom in an area where there's a threat of gun violence due to gangs in the neighborhood um, before you would do that in an area where there's less of a threat. Mm -hmm. Or you talk to your people and they say, I got these crazy dads, two crazy dads at this elementary school. We need to do that one first before we work on the high school. And we take our, our steps of strategically protecting based on what your need is per district, per building, per classroom sometimes. Yeah, and it certainly makes sense. And we see that a lot in facilities projects, especially with school districts where, you know, it is taking an elephant one by the time, right? And really there isn't too, I would imagine, uh, new construction going on uh, with schools, a lot of renovation. Uh, and I imagine the project you guys are doing, it, it's retrofitting. Is that, would that be fair to say? Yeah, we do a lot of retrofitting and remodeling. And I would say the school districts that have 50 to 150 schools are the ones that are building one to three a year. Right. They're getting a lot of people moving into their, their counties, their areas, and their building. But it's definitely not like a New York State. I don't, I don't think New York State builds one to two new schools in the whole state a year. Yeah. They take old buildings and keep them living which, you know, our facilities directors know this is a nightmare. You're given now 10 buildings that we're remodeling, a $200 million project across the whole entire school district that's hard to manage, keep track of, go with and say, okay, what's the priority for what we do with security? Um, which I always say it should be your number one priority. It doesn't mean you're spending the most money. Typically, it's the least amount of money, but it should be your primary focus would be security first, then safety second, because if our kids and our teachers and school staff members are not coming home safe and alive. What are we doing all this for? So, and then aesthetically things would fall into place afterwards. You could still have beautiful aesthetics with security. It's just gonna cost more. So if the architect is hammering and saying, do it this way, I want a whole glass front of this building, it's gonna cost more to do that. But know where the attacker, there's data and analytics on this stuff, captive. Where are the attackers going? How are they doing it? What areas are we gonna harden? What areas do we harden second or third phase because statistically it's less likely to happen there. An active shooter at a school is more than likely going to happen at a high school. Mm -hmm. Although some of the most deadly have been like uh, Sandy Hook Elementary, 
where 26 were killed in about three minutes at an elementary school, and it's the most devastating because it's first graders. Mm -hmm. But the truth is, is more of school shootings are happening at high schools. So if we're looking at it and saying, okay, where's our decision and how are we doing it? These are good ways to guide and do it. But a lot of it has been retrofit, and there's different solutions for the retrofit that we offer with uh, security film or retrofitting glass to come in and take take place of glass in a classroom door, things like that. Yeah, it's, it's funny because you mentioned the, you know, breaking it down from the whole school district to a single location and strategically, you know, based on the demographics or the crime in the area, whatever it may be, focusing on one specific area. And you could even go a layer further mm-hmm. or deeper. And within that school, if we have X amount of dollars, we can only focus on one area. You mentioned that there's data on, okay, let's focus on this one by at yep. this specific school in the specific school district. And so it's really going you know, to that level of detail where to start. Yep. And, I, and there's not many, even I worked for the government for about 20 years. I worked for the government. I own my own private business. There's always a budget behind what you do. The only ones that might not have that would be like an Amazon, right? You're almost a billion dollar company or an Apple. It's endless. Right. But the thing is, is there's still a budget behind it. So like you said, if there's only 100000 that can be spent at this high school, 300000 square foot high school, and we're doing, what do we do? Like you said, we could isolate that down to let's, let's work on our, our large group rooms. We're going to harden those. If we're going to harden anything, cafeterias, libraries, large group rooms where there's a lot of people that the shooter can get to, how do we protect them if he's roaming through the hallway? We would harden those first, and then we start to expand from there afterwards. And as far as you alluded to, to data, uh, what resources can are out there and available for people to look into this in more detail, the data that could, they can go gather and, and analyze? So for security and safety, I love the NSSPA. So the National Safety Security Protection Association, nssspa.org, O-R-G. And they have a lot of, a lot of data, a lot of analytics. Uh, they have retired federal agents from FBI, Secret Service, uh, multiple sources, and then they also even have uh, facilities operators that work there. Keith Watkins that you interviewed at yep. one point, he's one that sits on the board for them because we want people doing the job. They want people doing the job to sit there and say, okay, why are we doing this? What makes sense for us? And a couple of our team members from retired FBI and Secret Service work with them to collect data and analytics, and that is released publicly to our schools and sources there to say, okay, why are we doing this? Where are we doing this? What is the best practice. Um, my my expertise in security and now glass security, schools will come in and say, I want to do the whole first floor. I'm worried about them shooting up this uh, English teaching room over here or this wing, the art wing, because it sits right on the parking lot and it's on the parking lot to someone else. And I'm worried that they're going to come up and shoot all of our kids. Statistically, that does not happen. Mm-hmm. So when we're telling them as a, as a school, don't spend a million dollars with us, spend $50,000 with us and do your your doorways plus your glass next to it. That's where the shooter is coming through, is that mm-hmm. doorway, the glass right next to it. That'll save you a lot of money and spend $950,000 on lockdown systems, notification systems, uh, updating your Wi-Fi so that systems work, that you have phones in every classroom, whether it's a Cisco phone or whoever's out there. What are you doing? You could spend that money in other ways. That's the smart way of doing business for us as a company. But the NSSPA is one that gives guidance on that and says, okay, this is what you're looking to do. Here's some real-world solutions that we're giving you, not just from us as different subject matter expert, experts, from architectural to engineering to FBI, but also people sitting there saying, I've worked on facilities for over 30 years. I've been an architect for schools for 30 years. Here's what you can do, and they come up with those solutions. 
That's great. And to wrap up this, this topic here, what, what lasting words of advice would you have for people listening out there? So my thing is, is you are the first responder. My facilities, uh, directors, my, anyone that works in there, if, if you're a custodian mopping floors, you're a first responder. You're roaming the hallways. You know your place is better. If something bad happens, whether it's someone choking or someone getting shot, you're the first one that is there, which makes you the first responder. So make sure you have a plan. If there's no preparation, there's failure. Preparation is the key to success, whether you're going off to college or you're preparing for a terrible attack at your school. If you don't have a plan, you don't have things put together, the only person in control is that person attacking your building. So have a plan, be prepared. You are the first responder. Tom, that's great. And where, where can people find you? Other than TikTok, like we already mentioned. <laughs> <The big laughs> famous TikTok. <laughs> I have watched like five videos on there. Um, we're armoredone.com. And Armored One is like Under Armour's easiest okay. way. A-R-M-O-U-R-E-D-O-N-E.com. So if you search Armored One, it should come up. If you search uh, Fat Tattoo Guide Punching Glass, it should come up too as well. That might be the easier <laughs> way. But uh, you can find us those ways. And um, I will tell all you listeners too, whatever you're doing, Security-wise, whether it's a school, it's a building, feel free to reach out to us. Advice is for free, and we give it out all the time. And a lot of times, too, we tell customers you're not ready for glass security. You've got a lot of other issues that you need to deal with before you hire us to put glass in because it can save lives, but it doesn't always save lives. So reach out to us. Feel free, and we'll give you information and put you in touch with the right people. Love it. Well, thank you so much for the time. It's been thank a pleasure. You. I know uh, offline we've talked for about three hours. But <laughs> <laughs> I love it. But yeah, hey. Thank you, man. Appreciate, Appreciate it. it. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Modern Facilities Management Podcast. Make sure to subscribe for future episodes and visit our website, stratumcommunity.com for more facilities management content.